0: Hello, NSA, and welcome to the October 2014 edition of Voices of Experience. I'm your host, Michael Hoffman. Once again, we will bring you tips and techniques, ideas, and examples that will help you grow your business and rock your platform. This month, for those of you with the app version of VOE, we have a special video edition option of Terry Brock's segment, Tech You Should Own, that you can watch by clicking the slate icon on the bottom of his segment's description page. All right, let's get started and kick off this October edition with a story straight from the bowels of a hellish speaker experience. Mark Mayfield, CSPCPAE, is this segment's victim in Giovanni Lavera's Speaker's Nightmare. Welcome to another
1: true disaster story from the speaking business. Welcome
2: to Speaker's Nightmare. <laughs>
3: I have been in every kind of venue. I've had every kind of introduction. I have had, I've spoken a pizza hut where we used the salad bar as a lectern. Huh. Would you like coutons with that, ma'am? I have spoken in a uh, metal butler building during a hailstorm. I have, um, like I said, been in virtually every kind of venue. One that sticks in my mind right now, of course, is the uh, Peoria, Illinois event. The Illinois Waterfowl Association was having their meeting right next to mine. And during my program, they decided to hold their duck calling contest. <laughs> and that story doesn't even need a punchline. But maybe the most embarrassing of all the ones that I've had happened just about a year and a half ago. St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. I said that in case you didn't know where St. Thomas was. General contractors from the states. They, most of them were highway contractors. These highway contractors, most of them started as heavy, operator, heavy operators in the business. And I, I don't mean to stereotype, but you may have already drawn the conclusion. They were, they were good old boys. They were big old boys and good old boys. And I'm asked to help present the awards, which I normally wouldn't do. But they want me to help present the awards. And you may say, why would I do that? Well, number one, I'm a nice guy. Number two, I hadn't got my check yet. (laughs) I was a capitalist way before I was a speaker. I am working this way. I stand here. I I greet the person coming from the top of the stage, shake their hand. I hand them off to the president right here, and he hands them the award. Very simple. I shake. I hand them off. I shake. I hand them off. I'm doing this all the time. From the back of the room, about a 350-pound large lad came up forward. He was holding a cup of coffee. I did not see the cup of coffee. Why? Because I'm shaking, shaking, and passing. And when I turn like this, he's coming up with a cup of coffee in his left hand, looks for some place to place it. There's a table behind me. So he sets it on the table behind me. But I don't see that because I'm here. So all I see is this. So I think <laughs> he wants to hug. <laughs> he did not look like a hugger to me. But here's the weird thing about man hugging. It's awkward at best. You just don't know what to do. In fact, most times when men hug, they hug and and they hit. Be- so it's manly then I'm hugging you and I'm beating on you so it's okay so he here he is and I thought I'm going in now when you hug it's very critical that both parties are on the same page we were not on the same page we were not in the same book we weren't in the same library. As I leaned in, I'm off balance. He's leaning in, he's off balance because he's putting the coffee cup back here. And then we embrace. We're both off balance. I'm thinking I'll support myself with him. He's thinking, well, I'm gonna support the, with this guy. We get our feet tangled up. We it's like two overweight ballerinas that can't pull off the skill set, and we go to the floor. Now here's the deal. It wasn't a general gentle slump to the floor. It was more like a... It was like a WWE takedown. Now, this guy did not want me to hug him. He really did not want me to lay on top of him. So I'm on top of this guy. And you're saying, well, why didn't you stand up? Well, I couldn't because my arms are behind him and I'm trapped. I'm trapped and I'm trying to get up and I can't because he's on top of me. I find all I can remember is him him saying, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) I extricated myself. No one was hurt except for our pride. The final chapter of that story, it's been a year and a half. We shared a special moment. He has not called, not a text, not an email, nothing.
1: (laughs) Well, they made it through. And you know why? Because the show must go on!
0: In this next interview with Lori Allen, who's the news director of a CBS affiliate station, I really want to emphasize that this is a Skype interview. And with all technology, it has its limitations, but especially over the internet. So forgive me for some of the pops and clicks that you might hear in the audio, but her information on building relationships with those in the media to help us be used as subject matter experts is critical. Enjoy Lori Allen. I am speaking with my very good friend, Lori Allen, the soundbite coach, who has been working in the media, gosh, for as long as I've known you, Lori, and that's been years and years. But right now, you are news director at a CBS affiliate, yes?
4: Yes, Michael. Thanks for having me. And you know, in addition to my speaking career, I have worked as a journalist for just about 30 years, and it has been an exciting career. I got into journalism because I thought it would be adventurous. And really, you know what? For all you speakers, my speaking friends, I think speaking is just as adventurous, but As a journalist, I've shot tape, I've edited, I've been a morning talk show host on radio and television, and now I'm leading a group of young journalists, and it's a lot of fun.
0: So the soundbite coach is really the person I want to talk to for a little bit to to give us some insights in working with the media. You know, as a speaker, we find ourselves trying to be the expert in our fields and hopefully we will be tapped into by local and national media. And so any tips that you can give us on how to avoid the mistakes that uh, that you can fall into working with the media or perhaps, you know, how to make a pitch to the people in the media or how to you know how to be pithy and do soundbites.
4: Sound good? Well, I can do all that. You know, let's start with some mistakes. I book speakers uh, for a talk show. I had to book seven guests a day. Now, one caveat for speakers who are going to be interviewed for news or for a talk show is that many of you are used to training sessions or sessions where you get to talk for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. an hour, maybe even eight hours a day. And all of a sudden, somebody's wanting you to answer a question in 10 seconds or less. So know the difference. Know the difference between giving a speech and know the difference between giving a quick, pithy answer for the news media. Another, another caveat is some speakers are so used to that audience feedback, and journalists aren't g- going to give that to you. They may give you a smile or a head nod, but they, they're not necessarily going to laugh at your jokes. They're not necessarily going to go, oh, good answer because they just want to get on with the questioning. They don't want their audio to interrupt the taping or the live show, whatever the case may be. One of the mistakes that everybody makes is they will ask, oh, can I see the story before it prints or can I see the story before it airs? You have no idea that this is offensive to a reporter, but it is so offensive. And that's it has to do with the First Amendment. If I let you see the story before it airs, then I have to let the other side of the story see it, and I'd never meet my deadline. But, you know, if you want publicity, if you want some basically free advertising with media coverage, then go in with the mindset that uh, the media is doing you a favor. And that that will be appreciated. The other thing is I've interviewed – I have even interviewed NSA members who've made this mistake. They'll be doing a phone call or like we're doing, a Skype interview with a special microphone, and they will be doing things like – can you hear this noise? Did you hear that noise, Michael? I did hear that noise. Yes, I
0: did. (laughs) Are you okay?
4: (laughs) So you'll hear people clipping their nails. You'll hear the ding go off. On the computer, you might hear the buzz of the cell phone on their desk. You might hear the dogs barking in the background. So if you are going to be interviewed in your office or your home office, you're not going to be in the studio, then do everything you can to keep your environment quiet. Because if it's especially if it's a live interview, the the anchor, the host, the reporter is going to have to acknowledge the fact that there's some noise going on.
0: You know, that's really interesting. I never thought about it from the point of view of the, uh, of the person that's doing the interview of how it might be offensive to ask for a copy because, you know, we're always looking for things to put on our own media or maybe in our own, you know, media kits. And so the first thing out of our mouths usually is, can I get a copy? Are you going to record me? Can I get a copy? So that's a really good piece yeah. of advice not to ask then.
4: Well, Michael, let me clarify. It's okay to ask for a copy after, after. it airs or mm-hmm. after it prints, but not you don't want to see the rough draft. You can't ask to see the work in progress. Gotcha. That's what's a no-no. Mm-hmm. And often what will happen, people will say, oh, can I get a DVD? Can I get a CD of that interview? Can I get color glossy copies? <laughs> can I get Make sure copies you know what you're asking friends? for. Yeah, that, that is a lot of trouble for people who are on a deadline and you're one of many interviewees asking for the same type of favor. What I would suggest is after your interview airs or prints, look on the news media organization's website you can probably find a link to your story, whether it's broadcast, internet, podcast, and oftentimes the person will send it to you. They'll send you the link and then figure out how to take that link and make the hard copies that you need, whether it's something for your website or whether it's something that you can print off. Now, TV stations typically will leave the link up for a month or so, and then they'll take it down. And what you can do is say, uh, I'm willing to pay, is there, do you have, and you can look around on their website and find this, and say, if I pay $50, $100, can I get a DVD copy? And typically you can.
0: Now, you did mention that, um, like a lot of speakers, we're used to speaking. And you, coming from this media, need it to be pithy. I need it to be tight. Can you give us some ideas of how to do a sound bite? Because that's usually not my world. So, how do you speak in sound bites?
4: We have to practice. For many people, it doesn't come naturally. And you have to also know when to stop talking. Now, a soundbite, somebody we would call a good talker in our industry, a soundbite has one of two elements or it has both. They're looking for emotion or opinion. Emotion, that can be words like the most touching thing Ever in my life, occurred when you're telling a story. That works even for newspapers or internet articles or magazine art. The opinion comes when you use phrases such as, in my opinion, I feel, in my experience, in the clients I see, here's what I've observed, here's what I've noticed. In other words, something that's not a fact, but something that you have come to the conclusion of. And For a news interview, not necessarily a talk show interview, you need to say it in 10 seconds or less. Hmm. Hmm. And that's hard. That's hard for just about anybody. Now, here's why you want to keep it so short, Michael. You don't want to be edited, right? Right. You don't want want your words.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want want you to say what I said. I want you to say what I meant.
4: Exactly. You don't want to be taken out of context. And so the, the best way not to be taken out of context is to say what you mean and say it all in one or two short sentences.
0: Can we do a role play? So do you Absolutely. want to be the you want to be the interviewer or the interviewee?
4: I'll be the interviewer.
0: Oh, see. OK, you went easy. on it. All
4: right. <laughs> OK, I'm going to put my reporter hat on, Michael. I'm going to give you a hard time. you ready. All
0: right. That's it. throw one at me.
4: All right. So, Michael, how do you help people?
0: Well, I think my main goal is to challenge people to look at the skill sets that they use every day that they really don't have time to put labels on and do on purpose. So if I can get them to do it on purpose more often, we'll all be successful.
4: Can you give me some practical tips around that? I lead a department of 35 people and I have a tornado to put out every day.
0: Absolutely. Um, It's those situations where you are very aware that In this situation, I have to do it and say it on purpose. That is you consciously reaching into your bag saying, what am I going to say here? Those skills are what we're going to cover in this program.
4: So thinking about it and being intentional, is that what you're saying?
0: Exactly. Being very intentional. I like to call it on purpose.
4: What's been the reaction of this new service that you have, these new courses that you have with your clients?
0: It's been very empowering. You know, when somebody feels like they have a handle on what to do and say, they're more opt to own the positions that they're in. And that's really what we all want. We want people to own the role that you're in because I can't do it for you and we'll all move this big train forward to success.
4: Michael, you get an A. Those were short answers and you included... You included emotion and opinion, and you had great facial expressions. Not everyone could see your face. You were even talking with your hands, which helps get your energy up.
0: Wow. I got to tell you that I have never been accused of being pithy in my life. (laughs) That's that's the first time. Uh, You know, I was thinking very hard about you saying, be specific, give your opinion, and try to be, uh, I was thinking emotional about it. So. Let's go to the, the the thing the last thing you were talking about, which is you know how do I make a pitch uh, to the people in the media to consider me as a resource?
4: All right, typically, when you've got a story pitch, you want to send it to the assignment editor or the assignment manager. Let's say um that you speak on customer service, and there's just been a horrible security breach <laughs> at your local department store or your local restaurant or your local National whatever organization. <laughs> so they're gonna say oh michael hoffman you know about customers and you know about keeping people happy when something horrible happens like a tornado we really appreciate you calling us we just need a quick sound bite to what has happened at this grocery store chain can we come and bring a camera to you?
0: Well, you know, I happen to be outside your door, and uh, would love to step into the studio. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you say, of course, yes, absolutely.
4: It's called localizing. You're localizing a national story. What, what are the titles for people that work in this industry? You can always talk to a reporter with whom you have a relationship. I am a news director, and I get pitches because people find my name and title on our website. People send things to our general manager and our HR director. So they will funnel things to us. You know, if you really want to get coverage, send it to somebody that's actually in the news department.
0: <laughs> Big tip there. Lori Allen, what a treat. So many great ideas to help me become a local resource to the people in the media. Do us a favor. Sign us off.
4: May all your news be good.
0: All right. Dave Lieber, CSP, investigative columnist, Dallas Morning News. Did I say that right? Do I sound like I'm drunk? Columnist. (laughs) That's a tough word to say. With a Dallas Morning News author, speaker, pretty much man about town doing it all. And you are going to be running our segment called The Writer's Block with Dave Lieber that I'm looking forward to all year this year because you're going to be focusing on the art of storytelling, not just what you bring from your expertise being a writer all your life, but also tapping into the great storytellers, the great writers of our Association.
5: Thank you for having me, Michael. Well, We're going to get a lot of things done this year. And uh, as a professional writer who also is a CSP, I think I can bring a lot to the table for folks and help them improve their writing and getting exposure for their work.
0: going to be fun. This month, though, to, just to kind of kick it off, we have a very special focus this month on working in the media, working mm-hmm. with the media. And I would love for you being part of the media for all well, your entire life. Mm-hmm. Give us some tips on how to be effective with the media or people in the media. I mean, do you think mm-hmm. it's important for for speakers to connect and to have relationships with other writers?
5: Especially because we don't want to be speakers, we want to be experts on what we speak about. And what better way to demonstrate your expertise than by being quoted regularly or even irregularly in the in the media. So <laughs> Very reverently. So I want to take off my speaker hat, Michael, and put on my journalist hat. I've been a working newspaper man for daily newspapers for 39 years and I have figured out some ways to get the attention of people like me. Imagine this. I get about 50 to 100 story ideas a week from readers and also press releases from companies, maybe another hundred of those. Mm -hmm. I only write two columns a week for the newspaper Friday and Sunday. So I get rid of 98% of the stuff that comes my way. But – I was thinking the other day about how do you get to be those 2%, and then I realized we could apply that to speaker. There's a couple of fundamental things, and I've never shared this with anyone before, and I really don't want this out. I'm only going to share it with the NSA family. Just us few. Because it really is like a million-dollar idea. Mm -hmm. Whenever I get... An email from a person. Dear Mr. Lieber, I've been reading your columns for a while and I really like the one you did last week on such and such. And I have a story idea that I'd like you to consider, which is blank, blank, blank. I always have an obligation to read that and answer it in detail because it's from a person. But every day I get dozens of press releases from companies, and I ignore them, and I get follow-up from companies saying, did you get our press release? And I ignore them, too. But if that same person were to take that press release and put it into a personal letter from me and spend five minutes seeing what kind of a writer I am, I would actually give it much, much greater consideration. So my tip right there is to chuck the press release, turn it into a personal note. That leads me to my second suggestion, which is how do you figure out how and to whom you write these personal notes? Well, you know, you can get inside my media head just by going online and looking at what I post on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Google+, Plus, because those are my thoughts, my attitudes, my story ideas. And just about every media person in the country now has social media. So if you spend a few minutes looking into the reporters on the areas of expertise that you're interested in, like who covers the financial industry for the Wall Street Journal, the Detroit Free Press, the Los Angeles Times, go to their Twitter feeds and their Facebook pages and read what they write and read what they care about. And then when the opportunity comes for you to jump in with your expertise on a story, it's almost as if you know them. So that's what I would do. I would use that social media feed to learn the reporters, their interests, their attitudes, and what they write about, and then jump in. You almost become friends with them. You retweet their work, you compliment them, they start to know your name because it pops up in their feed. But you're not a stalker, you're not coming on too strong, it's just a little bit here and there. And then at the right time, the right moment comes, you get in their, you get in their stories. Because you're fit. They heard about you, they know about you, they know where to find you. And that really works well for me. You know, And that did not exist 10 years ago.
0: That's really important because you can really help them by being a reporter for them in the field. Is that what you're saying? I'm the guy
5: sitting at my desk going through my mail and trying to figure out what my next column is going to be about. But meanwhile, somebody who's out in the field says, hey, something's going on here in your area. I need to tell you about it. Well, thank you. You know, I feel like paying you because you now become like a stringer for me, a leg man who's out in the field getting the information and telling me what I need to go get. And that's what I count on. That's why I get, you know, 50, 100, 150 story ideas a week or a month from people, whatever it is. It's just an unending stream of people that, you know, pass me on stuff that's going on out in the field
0: that I wouldn't know about otherwise. Well, that would really set me up as a person of value to you as a writer.
5: Yes, because here I have assistants all over the country.
0: So give me some tips on how I can help you with that.
5: Well, let's say um, you're a speaker and your area of expertise is leadership. And you wouldn't contact the reporter that covers CEOs for the Wall Street Journal and say, Hey, I'm an expert speaker on leadership and I'm out here in Peoria. Why don't you come and do a feature on me? Because that's like self-serving and egotistical and the reporter's like, I don't like you and you're <laughs> I'll on, I'll their, get on that right away. You're on their crap list forever. Yeah. You know? So what you really want is uh, you want to go, Hey, there's a CEO in Peoria. I happen to coach him, I got permission, he took a company from zero to sixty and then it crashed and then it went from zero to 70. That's really dramatic. He did it all very creatively. I think it'd make a good feature for you. On leadership, this guy. So you've given this guy a real person. So now the, the reporter goes back to the editor and goes, hey, I heard about this CEO in Peoria. You know, that sounds like a really good thing. And so the editor's like impressed that the reporter dug this up. <laughs> well, they didn't dig it up because all of our stuff comes in through email now. You know, through, you know so we're just like answering our mail and we're getting all these story ideas.
0: Yeah. So don't give me don't don't tell me to write a story on change. Give me an example of change that I see in my realm of influence and that may set me up as a as an expert with you as a writer, possibly getting quoted and sent.
5: Exactly. That's exactly how it works and it seems like a lot of people don't understand that. And I'll tell you what, public relations companies don't seem to understand that because I've launched a campaign in the past year to eradicate all press releases from my inbox. <laughs> That have nothing to do with what I cover, and I cover corruption in business and government. So I'm getting press releases every day, and I'm telling the people that send me these press releases, you're using your customers. They're telling You're telling your customers that you're sending out to 10,000 media contacts, but you don't tell them that. Three-quarters of them have nothing to do with the area that you're sending out the press release. Would your customer like to know that they sent an investigative columnist a story about their new cupcake factory? I mean, that's inappropriate. It's wrong, and it makes you look bad. Mm -hmm. And so I write back, and I say, don't send me your junk. The really good ones targeted Lieber. He's an investigative columnist. He'll like this story on corruption in such and such a place. That is so rare. With the social media feed right now, with you being able to see what I do every day by going to my feeds, there's no excuse for you to send me a press release on cupcakes. Mm-hmm. You can know exactly what I cover, and you can be smart about it. Yeah. And it's free. It's free to figure this out. You don't need a PR consultant. You just have to spend 10 minutes on the internet looking around at different people that cover your industry.
0: Put some thought into it, is what you're saying.
5: Yeah, five minutes worth of thought will make you, prevent you from looking like a jerk because you sent me a press release on cupcakes.
0: Yeah. Awesome ideas. I'm looking forward to the writer's block throughout the year.
5: Yeah, I have a lot of good
0: stuff for everybody. So we'll have some fun, Michael. Thanks for the connection on setting us up with the media. And we look forward to talking with you again. We had an opportunity to talk to good friend CSPCPAE, Tom Winninger, and Tom shares with us a little technique that a lot of us use in preparing our presentation, and that's to interview folks. But what I love about what Tom does is how he uses that information to become the subject matter expert and build longevity. Tom, one of, the, one of your approaches is to really get to know your client and how you've leveraged that Information with all the research that you do, you do it better than anybody I've ever known. So tell me a little bit about why you do go about researching the way you do, how you've used in the past, and what it does for you. My whole career started out of a fear factor. People would hire me, and I didn't
1: know why I was credible and qualified to speak to this group. So I fell into this pattern of asking them for the names of six or seven people who would be in the audience I could talk to before I came to speak. I had no idea the value of this long term in my career. So they give me the names of these people who typically were movers and shakers because they're going to give me the very best. So they give me a couple internal people, a couple external people that are in the audience, so I call them on the phone and I spend 20 minutes with them. And then I would say to them, I take lousy notes, do you mind if I record this, I never in all those years had a single person say, no, don't record me. And then I would talk to them about what's on their mind, what's the biggest challenge they have in their career or their business. What is the thing they think about in the morning? And if it's a guy, joke about, you know, what do you think about in the shower when you're standing there in the morning thinking about the things that are in your way? And they talk about, well, payroll is a big problem and I can't hire good people is a big problem. And they'd really open up to me. And I found once you get through the first four minutes, then they're really sharing with you. It's almost like consulting. Well, what happens here? First of all, they weren't giving material necessarily that related to what I talked about, but they gave me the essence of the reality of who they were and what they were dealing with in their own life. So – I just discovered, I'd listen to these tapes before I went to speak. So when I get on an airplane, I take these with me. Now it's all digital, you know. but And I'd listen to them on the way to the presentation. By the time I got there, I was zoned into the audience. And I would take notes, key words, key phrases. And again, it wasn't about what I was speaking about. It was about the essence of them, their problems, their challenges. And I found myself on the platform, even though I wasn't talking about some of the things they talked about, like hiring good people. Yeah, I'm a marketing guy. I was talking about how to find great customers and how to engage customers at a deeper level and how to sustain your business by becoming something that your customer really wanted you to be rather than something you wanted to be. But my understanding of who they were and what they were really came out, I think, in the, in the, the, the essence of me and the presence of me on the platform. Because it really threw me and people come up and say, well, where, where is your outdoor power equipment dealership? <laughs> right. And I go, Well, I don't have one. They said, Well, you've got to have one. It's somewhere. You're hiding it from us. Or IBDs, independent bike dealers, you know, they'd come up and they'd go, and well, what kind of bikes do you sell? Mm. Or photographers would go, and and who does your lab work? And I'm going, <laughs> You got it all wrong. So actually I had to start saying at the beginning, I'm not in your business. I'd start off going I don't care what you think of me when I get done, I am not in your business. And it would still be a joke. But what was happening was I was getting into the minds and hearts of these people not realizing what was happening. So I was building my future relationships without knowing about it. And then I would say to them, because even today, the majority of people who hire me who are influenced what I'm doing are people that came from those interviews. The stupidity on my part was not to continue to fuel them at a deeper level. But uh, it, it's what, do you worked mean, what do you mean by that? That I didn't stay continually in touch with them, socially, mm-hmm. media-wise, mm-hmm. but I gave them all a book. That was my thank you. And I never sent them the book. They had to get the book at the meeting. So at the meeting, they'd come up to me for their book. Well, here I got people coming up at the beginning of my because I, I walked the audience. I've always done that, because I'm you know, I got this little, you know, uh, fear factor. That I, you know, little butterflies. So I walk the audience beforehand, interviewed, introduce people, and, and then I say, well, where's so-and-so? And then I connect with so-and-so who I'd interviewed before, Mike Wilson. And I say, Michael, you, you want your book? Oh yeah, I want my book. And then I sign the book. So I'm signing books in the audience. In the audience. Beforehand. And so it just creates a total different environment with your audience. And truly, these people rose to significant places within their associations, within their businesses, and, and that's where my real network came from. And I did – I figured this out about three years ago that I did over 12,800 of those 10- to 15-minute interviews and recorded them on the little old cassettes the, you know, the, and then the, the, the mini cassettes and now the digital. And, but, and I have composites. Like I've kept those all the years. So I have a whole thing related to outdoor power equipment and retail hardware, and I still have these. And so if somebody calls me about a specific industry – I just go back. Not that I'm not making the calls. I still make the calls because things have changed. But there's a lot of relevant material in there. And that's how I kind of became an industry specialist that, you know, I was the guy with the chainsaw and I was the guy with the bikes and I was the guy – now I'm the guy with the tractors and, you know, and I'm the guy with security systems, ID card publishing. But I – the challenge I make to speakers is the opportunity to know where you're going and growing – has to do with how much you know about the essence of the people you're speaking to before you go the first time. What are their problems and challenges? And and not that you're, again, as I said, addressing them, but what opportunities come to you because you do that? Because you do that. And then I started fronting the front of my material. I put their name on the front of my material, like selling in the supermarket or keeping the retail customer number one or or turning your your leadership team into an enterprise. I p- started putting the names of the industries I was speaking to on the front cover of my material. And then they wanted to own it.
0: Then then it was, wow, produce us for us. Well, let, let me let me go back to the to those six people. I think that's a very significant thing. And and getting them to see you as somebody who really knows right. us. Man, he knows us. You get that with six people?
1: Oh yeah. It's amazing. But when you zone yourself – you see, I'm a broadcast journalist by education, so you give me six questions. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what's the biggest challenge you have in your life? What brings you the most joy? You're coming to this meeting. What are you going to want to get from somebody before you leave? If I say something that's important to you, what would that thing be I'd have to say to you? You know, if I miss something, what would you want me to talk about that I didn't talk – in other words, what do you want to carry away? What's the biggest roadblock in your career, your business, you know – What is that? Those are the kinds of things that got me going. And then I would always say, and what terminology should I know? What are common words and terms that you use in your business? And really, what business are you in? I used to ask him that all the time. What business are you in? And a guy selling uh, chainsaws wouldn't say chainsaws. He said, I'm in the weekend limbing business. I go, oh, yeah, wow. And the guy with Trek Bicycle would go, well, I don't sell bicycles. I sell off-road experiences for people who want to be professional bikers, you know, <laughs> vocational bikers or family bikers. And, man, I'm just writing I'm just writing like right. crazy. But the, the advantage is you record these and then you go back over And it's their and verbiage. Again. It's their verbiage. Right,
6: right. You,
1: verbiage. You, you inculcate yourself in their verbiage or their industry. And I truly believe that that's where the majority of my sustainable discoveries have come from is as things change, these people talk to you differently. So if you started off as a sales guy, and all of a sudden they're talking about the box store down the street that's opening that's stealing their best customers for a lower price, you see, they're they're taking you to the next level. And then all of a sudden, three or four years later, they're talking about how to be more strategic in their business and how to package their products. And then you're going to that level. And then they're talking about how to differentiate. Then three years later, they're talking about – four years later, they're talking about how to differentiate themselves. But they're taking you there. And that's why, you know, seven years ago, I actually bought three research companies and rolled them together because I'm so fascinated with getting to know things I don't know that take me to the next level of what I'm doing.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I, I really like what you said there um, uh, about the taking them to the next level. And you gave very specific examples, which is you know, usually broad brush. We're coming in for sales. Yeah. But they're the ones that take you to that specific. You gave those three
1: examples. What were those? That it's not about sales, that it's about price competition, that it's about differentiation, That's it's about being smarter and strategic about hiring the right people and getting them on your team. All those – is that what you're talking about? All yeah. Those, all those became components of what I was doing, but I was getting
0: it from them. That verbiage was coming from them. They yeah. literally gave you oh, the topics for program. My whole next career program. came from
1: them. I mean, seriously, people would come up at the end of a meeting and they'd say to me, well, how do I take this home to my people? Well, i say, man, as a journalist, I learned to listen really good. Well, what are they telling me? Well, they want something they can take home that they can show me to their people because they didn't bring their people to me. And that's how we, half my business has been doing that, customizing and producing video vignettes on a skill basis that, people who come to my events can take home and show to their people because, you know, I learned years ago, I'm not in the business of developing the people who come to me. I'm in the business of developing the people that they don't bring to me. So I help them grow their business with the people that they didn't bring. Well, who's doing that? And I'm not coming, you know, I'm going to send me without me and I'm going to show you how to run me so you can facilitate me with your people. Crazy, isn't
0: it? Yeah. But it all came from listening. (laughs) up here. Yeah,
1: bam. Yeah. Yeah, bam. Just listen. Just listen and repetitively listen. Listen to the tape. I like go to a movie you love over and over, and all of a sudden you discover the real essence of the movie. I listened to those tapes over and over and over again because it gave me confidence. When I arrived at the platform, I was zoned. It's like playing the game before you have to play the game, and then you walk around and meet them. You know, it's like wow, yeah. the movers and shakers are telling you where this thing is going. So all of a sudden you're connected to the the direction it's going, not just where it's at. The other thing I've learned the hard way is don't let them do it on a conference call line with four or five people. I do individual interviews, and most of them are not set up in advance. I have them email them for permission for me to follow up, and then I just call them and say, do you got a few minutes or do you want to reschedule? It's too hard. You know, if you're doing two or three a a week, it's too hard to schedule all these interviews. So for what it's worth
0: <laughs> for what it's I worth I remain yeah Tom Winner <laughs> <laughs> Terry Brock, CSP, CPAE, a little bit closer to my heart, you were the voice from the voice of experience. I mean, you've, you've done yep. it all. And over the years, you've been just the recurring tech guru. You've got some tech that we need to run our business. Show us the things that you brought to share with us Well, today. one of the things that we do, Michael, is when we're in the road, we'll use video. We want to
7: get testimonials. We yes. want to do an interview with someone. And these little guys do it really well. The technology
0: on your phones is pretty amazing.
7: They are. It yeah. didn't used to be that way with the first ones, but now they really are good and so you want to plug something you want good audio because michael as you know the audio is the most important part
0: of video i can fudge on bad video but audio that's the worst yeah
7: so you use the iphone that you have the smartphone that you have and i've got a little adapter here called the mikey and it is from (laughs) blue microphone and you just plug it in like this and now it serves as a microphone itself, which is a little bit better than the Enhances regular.
0: Enhances the, the quality of the phone. Okay. Yeah.
7: yeah, but also over here on the side, it's got a place where you can plug in your handheld microphone or an over-the-ear microphone. Really good for getting sharp, professional-grade
0: audio. I hear Blue a lot. The Blue brand is yeah. actually quite big. Okay, good. Yeah, they've
7: got several microphones. Something from Blue Microphones at BlueMic.com, I think, is their address. They got a bunch of really good stuff.
0: I love that. So enhance the audio quality of your recording. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent.
7: Small too. One of the things you want to do is you want to stand out above the crowd. Right now, the webcams that come in laptop computers are generally pretty good. Mm -hmm. They're nice, but I found one that made me go, oh my goodness. And that's a lot for this jaded journalist to say. (laughs) You know, we're always going, yeah, right, uh huh, sure. But I found one. This is from Logitech. It's the C920. And this one right here. Gives you high-definition video in a way that is just jaw-dropping, wow, good quality. What I really like is, you see, you can just clamp it on the back of your laptop like that. Mm -hmm. And if you want to say, oh, let me show you something here, and you can point it directly at what you want to use. Oh, so it's
0: portable, too. That's Real portable.
7: portable. That's a a real nice advantage. And as you can see also, hey, this is lightweight. It goes into a really nice little Ziploc bag for carrying wherever you might happen to be. And uh, I think uh, the technical term is nifty-cool. Any tips on whether I'm a PC person or a Mac person? The nice thing about this, they say this one works only with Windows. I used it and plugged it in on my MacBook Pro. Worked just like that right out of the box. And another platform where it works, which is the third one that you don't even see here. Whoo, it's in so the space is Google Plus Hangouts. <laughs> Google Plus Hangouts is a speaker's dream. Because what it is, for the first time, Michael, this is exciting. We can, as speakers, go out and broadcast literally to the world over YouTube. We just say, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Michael Hoffman, and you join me next Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, or whatever it's going to be, and we can do it. And then using a tool like this gives you quality that is broadcast quality. And a microphone like this gives you that for bringing in as well. The possibilities are there are amazing, particularly I'm using a little add-in to that called Webinar Jam that lets me kind of plug in a little marketing tool into Google Plus Hangout to give me results, to make more sales, to reach more people, and it really is a revolutionary, not just evolutionary, revolutionary tool for speakers and thought leaders.
0: And it's called Webinar Jam. Webinar Jam, I...
7: which works with Google Plus Hangouts.
0: You had an over the yeah, year. Yeah, I've got
7: one other thing here that I would this recommend. This is a bonus. Now, this is a bonus. See, we got three, but ooh, for you today, <laughs> we've got a bonus. Now, how
0: much would you now, pay? Now, how much would you wait, pay? Yeah, don't wait! Don't answer. Wait. Well,
7: just a simple one. I get it from Micro phone madness.com really cool people and i put it in like My this you now. see this works well from that hotel room or out there on the scene wherever you happen to be and look at this very nice it's got this little guy so you've got the regular so you've got eighth inch mini, inch mini plug, inch mini here. plug right, 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 and you plug it into this guy right here Which and is it goes into your usb yes indeed works very well and so now you've got good quality audio plus here's a real advantage if you're doing audio you get up move around like this it's very nice but this one works very well with whatever you're doing with recording audio and video and the whole thing is we're at a point right now michael where these tools are available for very low cost or for free like google plus hangout to really take your message and get it out to the world in a real real professional way almost like grown-ups do it
0: (laughs) tech that you need to have terry brock i appreciate you michael great to see you buddy good to see you again Sports Princess, Kate Delaney, you have been everywhere. A sport personality, radio personality, author, influencing the world when it comes to your brand of humor, insight. And tell, tell me a little bit about what you do. What is the Sports Princess?
8: I'm a communications and sports expert. And I teach people what are the secrets of communicating verbally and non-verbally from everything I've learned from interviewing all the sitting presidents famous people but interesting people and also just what it's like to have to dance on your feet and come up with material and zig and zag when you have to fill 80 hours of airtime a week
0: because you've done such a great job on really taking the opportunities that you've had and being exposed whether it's radio or interviewing and turn that into a strong brand Tell us about marketing. What are the three things that you would say, you know, if you had to boil it down, this is what I would focus on?
8: I think the three things that you really need to do is, one, be very specific. You get rich in the niche. Don't try to be all things all the time to everybody. Also, I think it's important to know what you're willing to invest, whether it's time, money, a combination of both, or to hire somebody. And then I think the third thing you need to do is look at your list and what are you doing to reconnect. It's very important not to leave people behind.
0: That's good. All right, let's jump into them then. You said (laughs) something, not everything. The rich is in the niche. Describe that for me.
8: Focus on your core. What is, what's your core personality? What's your core topic? What's your core maybe title? What's, what are you an expert in? Really drill it down to what you know so well that other people don't know and focus on that.
0: So you're saying pick a lane.
8: Absolutely.
0: And you're saying that Ling doesn't have to be necessarily a topic. You can have a, a, a niche in an industry. You can have a niche in a category. You can have a niche in an audience.
8: Absolutely. You can have a niche in a profession, even. For example, broadcasting, communicating, advertising, accounting, medical... Which, in the NSA, we have many fabulous speakers who fill some of those spots.
0: And that doesn't mean I can't service their areas. It just means that in this area, these are my people, and I cultivate my people. When it comes to marketing, that's my effort.
8: Right. They're your tribe, and you really, really want to develop a tribe. People that will stay with you, grow with you, continue to go down, and when they think of somebody in your area. It's you. You own the area. They don't, and actually, they don't even think about any, anybody else. There is no plan B. It's you or nobody.
0: Tell me about what will you be willing to invest in? You said when it comes to marketing, really consider what you're willing to invest.
8: I think you have to come up with a strategy. How much are you willing to spend to market yourself? Do you have a lot of money to spend on it? If you don't have a lot of money, what can you get? for the amount of money that is available to use toward that and most importantly make sure that you point it in the right direction how much is your time worth are you out giving extra speeches but that's okay because that's paying for the marketing and that's what you want i mean you got to think about this if you if you look at the nike swoosh if there was no just do it and we didn't have any of the ads around the nike swoosh would we know what that swoosh was you know, we would yeah, not know yeah
0: Check it off on these shoes, something like that. We'd have to make it up, in other words, yeah. What are you willing to invest in? I heard uh, Aaron Botsford once said, um, if you want to make $300 an hour, Don't do $30 an hour work, which is not belittling somebody that's doing $30 an hour work. It just means that look at your priorities. If this is really where you want to spend your time, don't spend it in other areas. What was the biggest investment you made that really paid off?
8: I think the biggest investment that I made was in branding and trademarking Sports Princess and using that in everything that I do because before I was doing a lot of different things. I was Kate Delaney, I was broadcaster, I did this, I did that. But it, there was no one place, no one watering hole where you could come and drink from my trough. Now you can come and you know exactly what you're getting in one spot. So I spent uh, some money on that.
0: So your investment in the people that helped you create that brand, that logo, that trough has really opened up doors for you.
8: Absolutely. One watering hole one trough to drink from you don't want people to be confused when they try to find you
0: and then the last thing was is to reconnect so in, in marketing you've you've gone out of your way and however you gather your names you're building this this group of names this tribe but your focus is and when it comes to marketing is make sure that list is taken care of give me some examples of how you reconnect with your audience and the importance what's the importance of reconnecting with this these group of people that you've been gathering
8: it's important to keep up with the people that you've gathered over the years because they don't they're not keeping up with you, you have to keep up with them. It's not their responsibility. Are they clients? Are they people that are relating to you and and recommending you to other people are you losing opportunities because somebody's on the list, they've moved jobs, they've moved positions, they might be in a in a different space where they can hire you to come in and do men- multiple workshops or do various things for their company or their group, but because you've lost touch and you left them in the rearview mirror.
0: Give me some examples of how you reach out and connect with your Your group, your tribe every year.
8: Yeah, a good way to keep up with people, I think, is even the old fashioned way of a newsletter, but you give them content, heavy, good content in your area, so they want to read this. And it it can, or another way that I've been able to do it, I've just developed an e zine, that's a popular thing. So now you have a whole magazine, a virtual magazine that someone can look at, filled with top 10 lists of things they could be doing better in communicating. For my example, it would be communication or whatever your niche is. By doing that, I think, especially in the space where they can pick up a Kindle or a Nook and look at it, is huge because it doesn't take much time. The other thing that I do… Does, wait, a
0: magazine doesn't take much time? It sounds like it would take an enormous amount of time. How do you do that effectively in a short period of because time? Because
8: you have a couple of articles okay. and you keep them short and entertaining. And then you have like a top ten list or something they can download, like ten ways to kill it on the platform or 10 ways to communicate more effectively in your business and it's it's eye candy it's almost like the usa today if you go to the airport you don't have much time still people pick up the usa today because there's a lot of pictures it's bigger print and you're just looking at it and you're absorbing the stories it's not the wall street journal filled with massive amounts of facts it's pop the other thing that i do is I'll cut videos. So I have videos that go out and this has just been recent in the last couple of months where I'll cut videos and I'll talk about places that I've been recently and things that I've done recently. And I'll give sometimes examples of it and I'll try to throw in lots of humor. And usually they're about three to four minutes long and I send those out to everybody or I link them to a place where they can come. And they, and I find that a lot of people look at those because video is Absolutely, where everything's going. People want to see you, feel you, touch you. And if you have a good way of presenting where you do use a little bit of humor, where you just talk very authentically, I think, and connect with the people that are part of your tribe. You get them interested in I you love again. the
0: idea of creating videos just for your people on your list. You know, making it personal, talking to them. Now, do you have a YouTube channel? I mean, how do you do that? Do you just send it out to them specifically? Do you have a YouTube channel? Uh, what other ways do you I've, do that? I've done, it both,
8: I've done it both ways. I think email is a good way to do it because then they can click on it right away. You can have a video email. It's easy to do. Plus, on that email, you, could, you can have on the side of the email whatever your particular their logo is or whatever you're, wherever you're directing them to so they'll see that at the end of it. You want to make sure you have what we call a slate in the front or in the back where it directs them back to you so they know to go back to the website or wherever it is that you're trying to send them. And I find that that's really, really effective. And the YouTube channel works also as well. I think everybody should have, a, at this day and age, everybody should have a YouTube channel. Yeah,
0: the collection of the videos over the years, the library that I can go to. And if I like what I see, I want more. Absolutely. I've got a place to go to. I love the idea. You just said something I really want to drive home, and that is if I am reconnecting with my audience, um, not only am I just giving them information, but you have a, a slate, you call it a slate, and at the beginning or the end, I give them a place to go so you're not you're not wasting this connection you 're not wasting this marketing opportunity yes i 'm reconnecting with my audience, but then i 'm giving them a call to action.
8: Yes, a call to action can be really effective so what i 'll do is i 'll give away copies of my book for hmm. some of i 'll ask for feedback and for the the most significant feedback, we'll pick five. I will send you a copy of my book, and I also utilize, because I have the power of the radio, a lot of times I'll use it where I do a mailbag segment on my show, and I'll wrap that into a segment, so the person actually gets free airtime on 150 stations.
0: Wow, so you're tapping into the tribe in, in helping them get their word out as well. So you're like a catalyst, a catalyst for the tribe, and if I'm, if I'm connected with Kate... <laughs> i 'm reaching i 'm not only getting i 'm not gleaning from her i 'm tapping into the, the entire family
8: absolutely and that 's the idea because it 's a sense of community i I think that 's something that also gets lost because we collect a lot of times numbers it 's all about You'll hear people talk about how many people they have on Facebook, how many people they have on Twitter, who has the most Twitter followers, uh, what's your clout score. All of that's great, but how are you utilizing it? And do they feel like they're part of your community, or do they feel like they're just a number in the crowd?
0: Yeah, I want to be part of something larger. Okay, so there's your marketing tips. Kate Delaney, you're a marketing genius. I really appreciate that. I know we could talk forever about this because your your brand is huge, but those were great marketing ideas, and I appreciate you, time.
8: Thank you very much, Michael Hoffman.
0: What would you do if you were starting it again? Whether for the first time or moving into a new area, it's not easy building a brand new foothold. Ed Robinson CSP had to do just that. Ed has a very specific marketing process, and today Ed will go in-depth in how he interrupts his new constituents to engage new relationships and make it rain. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Ed Robinson, former CEO of Robinson Performance, current CEO
2: of Rainmaker Performance Group. That's a big that's a big change. Well, actually, my change was to stay congruent with my brand, my process. As you know, I wrote a book called The The Million Dollar Rainmaker and helping people develop business in their organization, being a rainmaker in their organization. So as opposed to people recognizing my name, my brand is Rainmaking, helping people grow their business. You've moved to Houston. You've got a brand new base of people. You focus on accounting
0: firms and law firms, which you are the man in, but you're really shifting a brand new base. You've shifted the name of your organization to the branding issue. There's a difference between branding and marketing. How
2: do you re-market a brand new idea uh, with a brand new set of folks? Because I do see a a distinct difference between branding and marketing branding. uh, um, it's basically, you know, like you mentioned, rainmaking. But, but marketing is how do we get yourself out there? How do we get people to take notice of you? And I wanted people to notice that I moved to Houston. So, um, and, and I have a four-step process, that, and you have to work with me. I'm a recovering CPA, you know. So I, I'm always, lo- I'm always looking for a process. So my process in the marketing was interrupt their thinking, engage them, then educate them. Interrupt where they are, engage them, educate them, and make them a small offer. So that's what that's what I see as marketing. If in fact you can do those four things, you're starting to market and share. So moving to Houston, I interrupted their thinking to say, "Hey, the rainmaker's coming. The rainmaker's coming," and let them know that the rain was coming. Most un- unfortunately, in Houston, they thought the hurricane was coming. Getting
0: in their car, getting away. Let's all
2: relax. But that helped a lot. Um, just letting people know interrupting their thinking and then just kind of taking them through a process so i started touching them on on a regular basis so that they knew i was making that transition okay good you said three things you said interrupt Mm -hmm. number two was interrupt was number one number two is engage Mm -hmm. once you interrupt their thinking um engage them educate them and offer like the brain works kind of uniquely. There's three things that happens. <laughs> Oftentimes, while I think everybody falls into this category, I think is really true. Um, the older you get, okay. Uh, once I'm getting, you get north of 50, it happens more often. Or at least I find that in some of my audiences. Uh, downtime is one of them. You walk into a room and you forget what the heck I came down here for. I mean, it happens a lot when I go in the kitchen. Some people say it's a senior moment, but in reality, our brain is in downtime we're consciously just doing a thousand things and we're not focused. But have you ever had one of those moments where you're sound asleep and then you hear a noise in your house and you wake up totally alert and you're you're like focused. What's going on? What's unusual? Where where, where am I? That's taking you from downtime to uptime. And that once you get in that uptime, you're now focused on what I call your reti- that reticular activating system. Things that are problematic, things that you look for, things that are normally in your radar. And now you're really focused. So when you interrupt somebody's thinking, you're taking them out of that downtime to, wow, okay, that's something I may need. Something's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay, something's going on.
0: And you interrupted by... Sending out notices, sending them. How did you interrupt your, your, your base, these firms that you want to connect with? You want to interrupt them and let them know you're coming. Well, how
2: did you do that? Well, I, I, I use a, a touching strategy. And that one touching strategy we call PESs. And pest, we send out, first of all, we'll send out postcards. So that was the postcard saying, hey, the Rainmaker's coming. And we come and we do business development and we help professional services grow. And then we'll follow past, the, the after the P in the postcard, we'll go to email. And we'll email maybe a PDF or some information, more free stuff, a taste of what we do. Then we'll follow up with the S, snail mail. We'll send something in the U.S. Postal Service, um, a book, a CD or something so that we're touching them again. And then in that third touch, we usually put down a message that we're going to follow up with a telephone call and see if we can call you. And so we we did that that same thing. So then we say, OK, next week we're going to call you and see how we can be of service to you. Well, wow. so you started. So, pest. Mm-hmm. so you sent them out a postcard. OK. Now, this is, you know snail
0: mail you're talking snail mail you're talking old school but it sounds like you're touching all schools so you, you you know you go you send them out a postcard let me know what's coming uh-huh. and, and your graphics were awesome i mean brand new you, you announce yourself to the area mm-hmm. and then you follow up with an email uh-huh. okay and i'm assuming where are you
2: getting this information well i'll tell you what i did and i think most major cities have this where um the business journal is the list of the the, the top things you mentioned i do professional services the list of the top 20 so i looked at the top 25 accounting firms Mm -hmm. i looked at the top 25 law firms and banks and based on that i decided to send them a note and my note to them was hey congratulations for being a rainmaker in your industry to be in the top 25 is fabulous i am sending you a gift my book The million dollar rainmaker and just to congratulate you for being a rainmaker in your industry. Oh, by the way, one of the things that I do is I write books. Obviously, I'm in the process of writing another book. So I introduced another concept that has been a challenge for them in their industry. And that is some of the, some of the professional service firms that I've worked with are having challenges with succession planning, building leaders, And I have this philosophy that if you're going to build a leader, that leader needs to make it rain or be able to bring in revenue. And what I'm doing is interviewing rainmakers in the community to help them make it rain. Would you mind sharing with me some ideas on how you, your people, and your company makes it rain? Wow! So it's not just like you're, you know, here
0: take my book. that that hasn't been asked for. You know, I hear that all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, you're giving away a lot of books. Are, are that's a lot of that's a lot of commitment as far as I can understand. Postcards. I mean, that's mm-hmm. they're, they're nothing. But but you're saying I actually send them a gift. Yes. And um, uh, that then that book that's a that's a pretty hefty investment as far as sending them out there that they haven't said Ed send me a book. But one of the things I heard that may be different than this is, I love this sort of a contrarian thinking is, you're, you're connecting with an idea that this is what I do and I'm creating something else and I would love for you to be involved in. Um, I love that idea. <laughs> oh, well, you know, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Because it gives a reason why I'm getting this you know book in hand. And
2: I, I think in today's environment it becomes very critical that you're not just spamming people. And you have to be genuine. I genuinely wanted to congratulate them Mm -hmm. for being the best in their industry. They were in the top 25, the top 50 in their organization. Here, You are a rainmaker. You're what I define as a rainmaker. So I wanted to give them one of my books to reflect that. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, I've got another challenge. So I want one of the experts, and I'm allowing them to be that expert. I want you to be that next step. And so I, I, I started interviewing people and got a wealth of information on my next direction.
0: You know, that, and that will that, definitely interrupt. I mean, I'm coming into the area. You don't know me from Adam. I got to start it. Uh-huh. I got to start it somehow. So we send out a postcard. We do an email. We send them, we send them the gift. And what was the T? Telephone. Telephone.
2: Right. I try to make a telephone appointment to, and that telephone appointment is to set up an interview with them at some point in time. Uh, Ed, as always, man, I appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. with you.
0: We all have a story, and it all has a beginning. And one day, when we look back on that story, we'll see the choices that we made, the chances that we took, that put us where we are today. What did you do to get started? What are you doing to get started? What What are you doing to market and get your name out there? Well, this month in our chat with President CSP CPAE Chef Heiken, he's going to tell us a story of his beginning and his marketing efforts that catapulted his career to where it is today. August of 1983,
6: I decided to become a professional speaker after seeing Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins (laughs) do a program, and I said, I can do that. Now, keep in mind, years before that, and actually still doing it, I had been a magician and still do magic for fun. So I had experience doing uh, work in nightclubs, comedy and magic, and birthday parties, of course, as a young magician. But I had experience on stage, and I saw these guys, and I said, I can do that. I'd gone to college. I had a job while I was in college, and then they sold the company. I didn't have a job. I went and got motivated, and boy, did I! So the next day, I went to the world newsstand in Clayton, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis, which I live walking distance from now. And I bought every business magazine that they had, and I ripped out the full-page ads from the business magazine and stacked them up. Probably had about a hundred plus advertisements. My thought process was, full page ad, they're selling something. They're selling something, they got sales people. They got sales people, maybe they have a sales meeting. Sales meeting, maybe they'll hire a speaker. But I had to find out who the person was in charge of those meetings. This was before the Internet, when you can log on and do a Google search, okay? This was your Google. This was my Google. My Google was to call the number in the ad, which was typically a call center somewhere. But back then, for whatever reason, people said, sure, I'll find you the right person. And I actually would call and say, I am looking for the person that's in charge of sales at this company. And. Small companies like General Motors, like who would be in charge of sales? Believe it or not, these people would call me back and they would tell me, here's the number, the headquarters number. This is the person who's the vice president of sales. Okay. And that's really what I did. I I, I created this list and then I started calling them. I had, I I made a little trifold brochure that fit into a number 10 envelope that was. You know, I actually, it was black and white, my first one, and then I added another color. Ooh, wasn't that cool? So, and it was kind of blue and white at that point in time. And so uh, I, I did this, and I remember picking up the phone, making my calls, and in August of 1983, I actually called a St. Louis company, small company, Anheuser-Busch, and I went down because the guy said he would talk to me, and as long as I was in town, why not come down and meet him? And he booked me for my first speech which happened in, to be in October of that year. So it's August to October. Now, by the way, after watching Zig Ziglar, I created a 10-year set of goals, mostly financial, okay? But how I was going to get there, I started with the end and worked backwards to what what am I going to need to make next month to survive. So, But it's August. I need something sooner than that. So I kept smiling and dialing. I got another client, small company, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, another St. Louis-based company, I went down there. Their first meeting that they could use me on was in September. Aha! Next month,
1: perfect.
6: Okay, we're on so a by roll. The way, Not only that. Think about it. Anheuser Busch Enterprise Rent a Car, proving that drinking and driving, it <laughs> can did. work together. Okay, <laughs> but but not the way we think. Okay, in the legal sense, they can. Third big client that I had. I read another book, uh, and by the way, I went to the bookstore and I bought every business book that was available. And back in 1983, that would be about eight and okay. that's how many books were on the bookshelf at the Bead Alton Bookseller and I, when I went to the book section, that's what I found, eight books that I felt were relevant one of the books was What They Didn't Teach You at Harvard Business School right, by Mark McCormick, yep. and there was a technique about calling somebody from out of town, not letting them know you're from out of town, making them think you're just down the street, can I come by, and I kept calling this, this person at General Motors over and over and over again, for weeks and finally, I said, Look, I could be in your office next Thursday. Now, I'm in St. Louis, they're in Detroit. And I'm just a kid, 23 years old at that point. I just turned 23. And the lady said, Fine, you get 15 minutes. Great. Now i got to go buy an airline ticket, which I remember it being about $500-plus and a rental car, which cost me whatever it cost me. And I'm thinking, that's all the money I have at this point. But I flew up to Detroit, and I went in, and I did my little spiel, sat down with the guy. And about the end of our meeting, I said, you know, I've got to get back to the airport. I know it's getting kind of late. Do you have a shortcut, a suggestion so I could avoid all that traffic? We looked out. There was just traffic everywhere. And he goes, where are you from? Said, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. My assistant said that you were going to be in the area. I said, no, I said I could be here on this day if you wanted me to. He says, you flew all the way up from St. Louis, and I'll never forget. He, he, he yells into the next room, check out the Los Angeles uh, conf- whatever it was, a conference, convention, show, whatever. And, and I got booked that day for three dates in January at this Los, Los Angeles event. And they hired me to actually talk to car dealers in the morning and then work at the auto show in the afternoon, which is really kind of a cool gig. Uh, Remember, I'm 23 years old, and this was a lot of fun. Travel in the country. Exactly. And from that point on, um, Enterprise has used me a number of times, probably 30-plus bookings. Anheuser-Busch was using me for 25 to 30 bookings a year. General Motors was using me for 40 to 50 bookings a year. And it was amazing how that all started, and it just took about a year or so. Now, you can call it luck. Uh, I was somewhat purposeful in how I went about it. Um, I didn't know whether I was doing it right or wrong. I was just taking the advice from a couple of speakers who happened to be members of the National Speakers Association at the time, and uh, also both uh, CSPs, CPAE. I don't know if Tom Hopkins or, or they were CSPs,
0: but definitely they're both in the Hall of Fame. Before we sign off, I want to spend our cup of half pointing out a few things that involve us as a community. First of all, last month, we did a segment that we'll come back to a few times this year called How Are You Changing the World? We interviewed Rebecca Morgan, and she had talked about a program that she started and still supports called Books for Treats. Well, I just wanted to remind you that if you wanted to join Rebecca in her crusade to pass out brain candy in the form of books this Halloween, now's the time to look into it. I highly recommend that you do. And what could be more fun and community building than having your chapter take up the cause for a fun and worthwhile event? Check it out at booksfortreats.org. Also, for those of you that are using the VOE app version, check out the video available on the Terry Brock segment. Just hit the slate icon and watch the video. And look for more videos every month on VOE. In fact, you can also watch the video extras on the VOE page of the digital edition of Speaker Magazine for those of you who don't have the app yet. As our technology is adjusting, we'll have more video options in the future. And speaking of videos, I have a request. Every month we are adding a little video to the app version of VOE, a video that helps us tap into the things that are better seen than heard, and I'd like your help. VOE will always be bringing you the ideas, tips, and techniques that grow your business and rock your platform. So I'm currently looking for two specific types of video content from you. The first is, send me a one-minute video of your favorite idea a technique or tool that helps you rock your business or rock your platform. Keep them short to about a minute and pay attention to the audio quality. It's the most important aspect of being used or not. The second is I'm looking for videos from chapters. What's your chapter doing to rock your people? Love to hear from you. You can send your video to the link that's highlighted in the segment description of Kappa Hoff in this month's VOE. Folks, this is our space, and I'm looking forward to you being a part of it. So let's tie this month up with a challenge. This month's VOE has been lightly focused on marketing, and marketing is about connection. It's about movement, and you will spend your lifetime using every idea and technique imaginable to get it done. I think that's the point. We ended this month with a story from our president, Shep Hiken, who told us about getting started in building his speaking business. And what I loved about his story is it's an example of what your story of success is or hopefully will be. And that's frankly hard work. So this month, do something. Tap into those experts that are doing the numbers that you wish you were doing and build a relationship with an outside resource. Invest in new technology to get your message out. Take an idea to connect and put it to use. Monitor the heck out of it and adjust accordingly. But definitely be a person of action. And when it works... Tell us about it. We'll pass it on. I hope you were inspired with an idea or two. This is Michael Hoffman with VOE. We'll talk to you next month. This podcast
7: is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.